0: We welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you would please. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Richard Wallace, who's pastor of Temple Baptist Church in, in well, it used to be Louisville, now Flower Mound, Texas, he is, he's been my greatest friend, my greatest mentor in life. And he, um, I asked him right before I left, I was on staff out there, and I asked him right before I left, what are some things that I need to learn for the next level of leadership? And here, here's just some things I'll give you for free that he gave me, but it leads to the point of the sermon. And that is, he goes, Shane, you need to come to the place where the more that people know about you, the more you, they want to know about you. In other words, that the more that they come to know you, the more they want to, to know you. That there's an authenticity, which leads to the second one. He said, um, the closer to you that people get the more authentic they find you to be. That there's nothing hidden in the closet. There's no games going on. You're not playing power games. I find a lot of times that guys, um, something I found, a lot of times if a guy is willing to get up in front of you in front of an audience and tell a story that's not true, I'd be very careful that I'd listen to him any further. or if he claims to be preaching something that maybe is his, that you know fully is not his, look, guys, we might as well, let's stop playing that game, all right? Our people know that you're not that smart. (laughs) They just know that, that we're not that smart. And they respect it when you tell them that uh, I'm going to give credit, I'm giving credit for this outline to so-and-so. That doesn't make you less in their eyes. It actually makes you more. And... uh, I heard, you know, it's the old story of one old country preacher He said, I'd rather be original or nothing, and he was both. <laughs> and so we all realize that we read and we study. Our people expect us to read and study. And so be authentic. Even in your preaching, be authentic. Thirdly, the longer that um, you are watched, the more faithfulness is found to be your dominant trait, not your talent. Not your ability, not your, uh, the power of your presence, but faithfulness. It's just a stick to that should be found in a pastor's life. And then his last one was this, and, and this is the one that he said, and this is what I want you to grasp because this is where the good and great ones are separated. He goes that trustworthiness is a given that you are able to keep confidence that when people tell you something, they share with you something, they know that it's going to stop right there. Then in other words, he said, let me explain to you, be a true friend. Don't be a power monger, don't be a person who's always wanting to be in the know, don't talk about all the people that you know and how well connected you are and how you can boss, how many people you can boss around and tell what to do and get them to jump when you snap your fingers. He said, just be a person who's trustworthy, that you're able to hold a confidence. He goes, and that's what's going to separate you in time for the next level of leadership. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you about a guy who was exactly like this, a guy that probably was not greatly known even in his time, but a guy whose name is written now in the timeless Word of God for us, and we're speaking about him today. And he's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 1, realize this book of 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. We know that. Paul can feel the sword coming across the back of his neck now. He, he knows it's about to happen, that the time's coming, and so you find even 2 Timothy, when he gets to the end, he's talking to Timothy very direct. He says, Timothy, I want you to I want you to maintain a serious focus. I, literally, he says at the end, in chapter 4 and verse 5, it's kind of his last commands, he said, the strongest one is, make full proof of thy ministry. In other words, put yourselves at full mast. He goes, don't hold anything back. You know, this is your generation now. I'm passing off the scene. Serve your generation well as I did, as David did. Now this is your generation. I watch now that um, men <laughs> such as, I'm, you know, Scott, and am them I'm being one of the old guys now, you know, Jake, Jake Blankenship and those guys are talking about, um, yeah, it's going to be good for you to come over because we want to, we want to glean from older men and <laughs> go, what? what? That's talking about somebody else. What, what you're finding is that a lot of us are finding that this is our generation. It's kind of scary, I'll be honest with you. But this is our time, this is, the, this is the branch, this is the, this is really the bracket of human history he's placed us in to do what we're called to do. So we need to quit acting like we're youngsters and we need to put on, we need to put on our big boy pants and we need to be serious about serving our generation well. But we need guys to encourage us in the midst of that because we've entered war and this is a battle now we don't uh, we used to have guys who would provide cover for us now we're the ones who are providing cover and so it's important for us to understand this and friendships a big part of it so going back to 2nd Timothy chapter 1 you look at verse 16 In fact look if you will at verse 15 he does immediate contrast in verse 15 he says this thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And so he calls them out. He lays them out. You couldn't imagine being these two guys and seeing this in this letter. <laughs> but then immediately he comes to verse 16, and I love how he comes to verse 16. He says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Now, you've got to practice that name every once in a while. Look where the accent mark is. And I wanted to make sure I got it right. But it's Onesiphorus. You're not going to name your kid that, not even your dog that. But it's a name that you ought to remember. However you remember it, remember this name because it's a name you want to be like. He says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus thou knowest very well. You read those verses and you think, Dear Lord, let that be me. I want to be that man. I want to be an Anaciphorus. With the name of Shane. (laughs) There's three things that you see and I want to move for sake of time, I want to move through these. Number one, I want you to notice the traits of a true friend with Onesiphorus. Paul recognized that he was a person first of encouragement. It says in verse 16, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. The word oft refreshed literally mean To make cool again. The word was used last night in reference to God in the Old Testament about how he refreshed himself. And that's the word in the New Testament that's used here is that it's to make cool again. In other words, the Middle East mindset would understand this very much. They've been out in the desert heat, spent a long day, and now finally to be made cool again. Now there's one great illustration that I want you to see out of this. To be a person of encouragement, I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 3 and I want you to see something in 2 Kings chapter 3. In 2 Kings chapter 3, you're going to see a character that we know very well. But in his day and time, particularly initially in his ministry, he was not known for his greatness. Everybody knew Elijah. Elijah, even in his own day, was a great celebrity. Every young prophet wanted to be like Elijah. Every young preacher, that, 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 was, that he was really the celebrity prophet. Although Elijah was the one who had the double blessing on his life. He's the one who did twice as many great miracles as Elijah did. But Elijah still holds the greater celebrity status. This is true even in Elijah's lifetime. Now I want you to see how this shows up, I think this is a beautiful picture for us. In 2 Kings chapter 3, the king of Israel is about to uh, step into war, and when he steps into war, he finds out the king of Moab has rebelled now, he doesn't want to pay tribute of the thousands of sheep that he gives each year, Ahab is gone, now Jehoram has stepped in, Jehoram was no more godly than his father. And so Jehoram immediately goes to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and says, come in a league with me. We find out later there was a third king that popped up. It was actually the king of Edom. And the king of Edom was a godless man. In fact, you find by the end of this that the king of Edom is as godless as they come. But they went into this league together. Well, now you find verse 6. And in verse 6, king Jehoram, for just a moment, as a moment of enlightenment to say maybe we should get God's perspective on this war before we go into it verse 6 2 Kings 3 and King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel and he went and sent to Jehoshaphat the king of Judah saying the king of Moab hath rebelled against me wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle and he said I will go up I am as thou art my people is thy people my horses is thy horses And he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. That's how they picked up the king of Edom as an ally. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host or for the cattle that followed them. In other words, they got themselves stuck way out from their supply line. They had no water being out in the desert. They were in a fix. And then in verse 10, and the king of Israel said, all as that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the land of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Now, understand what he's saying here. What he's, about, what he's saying here is, I, w- I don't want just any prophet. I want a prophet of the Lord. We've got all kinds of prophets. In fact, the true prophet that's about to show up is even going to ask the question, Why are you asking me? You have all your other prophets that your dad had and that your mom had and that you guys, all these other false prophets. Why in the world would you call me? Well, they knew why they were calling him because they knew what a true prophet was and who wasn't. But they most often didn't want to hear from a true prophet. Now watch what happens here. But Jehoshaphat, verse 11, said, "...is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him?" And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which is going to do twice as many miracles as his mentor Elijah. Is that what it says? No. Which is going to go down through the annals of history as one of the greatest prophets has ever come. Is that what it says? No. At the beginning of Elisha's ministry, he was known very simply, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elijah. He oft refreshed him. He would pour water in his hands. The prophet then would take the water, and he would put it on his body to cool him once again. What a beautiful picture of refreshment that's given here. Elisha was first and foremost known as a person of encouragement. I believe that's the reason the Lord used him in such a great way. When he was asked, what do you want? Give me double blessing. You know, Elisha, I've watched you serve in the shadows. I've watched you pour cold water on the hands of my prophet for years now. I'll give you whatever you want. And if that's what you want, you can have it. I will put my power on you like nobody has ever seen. Why? Because he was a person of encouragement. Let me ask you this. How many texts have you sent over the past week to other men of God just to encourage them? Can I go a little further with you? How many times have you gotten with guys in your own town? You've traded members, and he's got a lot more of the trades than you have. Some of them you were kind of glad that you traded off. (laughs) But every single time it happened, it hurt, did it not? And it's always going to hurt. Don't ever think you're going to get over that hurt. When's the last time you reached out to him to encourage him? I can't do that. You must do that. You have to be a person of encouragement. It's what God's called us to. If you want God's blessing on your life, then you have to be the one who oft refreshes. God sees that. He sees when a cup of water is given in his name. He sees these things. But that's not where it stops when it comes to encouragement. It not only says, back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says that he oft refreshed me. But then he said, now this fits in with encouragement. It says, and was not ashamed of my chain. Um, Scott is very good about just saying things and expecting them to be done. Scott Pauling. And I appreciate that. So I'm going to try to say it like Scott Pauley would say it, all right? Can you turn on this mic, because I can't say it without holding a mic. We'll just assume it's coming to the mic. Let's make a deal here, shall we? None of us are going to talk about numbers for the rest of the time that we're here. We're not going to talk about how many people we have in Sunday school because we're not going to talk about how many people we have in our Sunday morning service or if we have one or two or three services. We're not going to talk about how many return for Sunday night service. We're just not going to talk about numbers. Dwayne, I, I was talking about that today, coming over here. We're just not going to do it. We're just not going to do it. Do you know why? It's for, for two reasons. Number one, because there's always going to be some level of comparison that jumps in. Depending on where you're at, it either brings discouragement or pride. It's just part of our human nature. Secondly, we know you're lying. So we just <laughs> figure those things out. Okay? I don't know. We don't, I'm not going to say which way you're lying, but we tend to know which way we're lying. All right? I would encourage us just not to talk about numbers. I've watched through the years growing up through all of this that... Uh, Um, Southwide, when it first got started back up, um, there were meetings about that that you sat in. And I I hope you come to Southwide. I think it would be valuable for you. Uh, But let me say this to you. There was a big discussion, and it was a generational discussion in some sense, of when I grew up, I remembered that there was a section And, Scott, you remember, there was a section just for the special speakers. And it was marked off that just the special speakers. When you went to eat, there was a special speakers section that just the speakers at that conference that year, they could have spoken on Monday and it's Thursday, but they still got their special section of when they got to eat or when they got to stand in line. Well, my dad was never a pastor of a large church. He pastored 50-something years. And it was churches that most of you wouldn't know if I called out their name. But I watched my dad faithfully serve. I saw my dad that he would visit. That there was not a thing that my dad did that these guys um, also did not do. In God's hand a blessing, I'm not diminishing how God has used these men. Please don't misunderstand me. But I also will say this: that a person who pastors a church of thirty in Lodabar is just as valuable to the cause of Christ as a person who pastors a church of fifteen hundred in the city of Jerusalem. And I think we just got it—we got it all mixed up. We 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 got we jumped into celebrity status. And, and what I love about uh, um, what I love about this passage, he was not ashamed of my chain. In other words, when I became unpopular, he did not. his friendship didn't go. The phone didn't stop ringing. When the church went down, his friendship didn't go down with it. Guys, we've got to get away from this. We've got to quit judging one another on the size of our ministry. And we have to start being friends to one another. Just friends to one another. By the way, be careful who you choose to be your friends. You might pick the wrong ones. You might find that one of these guys might be a friend that you wish you'd held on to if you're one of those ladder climbers because God, God's method is to use those who aren't well-known yeah. and to use them in a great way, and that way it's only God that ever gets the credit. Yes. Yeah. I say this with much conviction because probably for the first 12 years of my ministry, I was very much like that. I was always looking to get to the table of, where the uh, men with names sat. You know, One day we're going to speak at those college campuses. and You know what you're going to find out if the Lord ever allows you to do those kind of things? It's a great privilege. You can't lie about it. But you're going to find out that those men are just as much men as anyone else is. They have the same sinful nature. In some ways, they struggle even more with pride, perhaps. And they have the same depression. They have the same battles within themselves. I want to encourage you to understand where you are and where God has you is as important as any other church that you see around here, any other church and any other man. We are all in this together. So when you walk into a room, don't look for the corners. When you walk into the room, just be foolish enough. Just be a Jake Potter enough to just walk right into the middle of the special speaker section with the... Do most of you guys know Jake? They don't. They don't know you. The corner. Yeah, stand up. No, you don't. Stand up, Jake. I want people to see you. T- turn around. I want them to see all of you. Yeah. I want you to see that beard. It's like, a, it's like I said at a men's conference last year, it's like he glued a dead squirrel to his face. <laughs> Stancil said a lot the same thing, just better. <laughs> he makes Doug Dynasty look good. <laughs> but Jake's just one of those guys that if it's, he doesn't care. If it's a bunch of supposed big wigs, he'll, he'll walk right in the middle of them, join the conversation. I love it. I just, I think there are no big wigs. No, there are no big wigs. Only James and John's mother thought they were bigwigs, and Christ (laughs) bounced her down the road pretty quick on that one. Be a person of encouragement, all right? Number two. Let's move quickly here. This is a big one. Be a person of loyalty. A true friend is a loyal friend. In fact, you really can't separate loyalty from friendship. It's almost the defining mark of friendship. Look at verse 17. But... When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. We don't know exactly where Paul was at this point in time. Um, Mamertine Prison. He was, wherever he was, he was hidden. They were going to make sure that he was not made a celebrity of in the city of Rome. He was in a place of hiding. He was in a place of obscurity. Most of his friends now had left. They couldn't find him. It's not like they put out a post. It's not like he was able to get the word out of where he was. So they were gone. In fact, you find just Luke, and then you find Onesiphorus here, and he sought him out, and he sought him out. And the Scripture entails in in the Greek, it speaks in the way that it's laid out, That when he searched, it wasn't a short search. He sought me, and 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 he sought me, me, until, 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 until he found me. This was a long and diligent search. He was a person he was not going to give up on his friend. They gave the statistic last night of 1,500 men. I don't know where all these statistics come from, and I don't know the veracity of them all. I will say this to you. We know, we know that there are many that are coming out of ministry. They just are. It's it's become a rough business. And for you young guys, I will tell you something. It's going to become rougher. Much, much rougher. You're not going to be a popular guy in your community anymore. Even in small-town America, you're not going to become the popular guy. You see what's happening on television now. And you're seeing even how they're trying to take the word masculinity. Have you seen that commercial? They're trying to redefine what a man is and trying to strip it completely of what we normally, as Americans even, have defined as men. Well, then you're going to get up on Sunday, and you're going to preach exactly opposite. Well, eventually, they're going to be listening to these voices so much and our culture has become so Corinthian. I'm talking about our church culture that things that we should be pointing fingers at and calling out as sin. We're patting each other on the back now about how good a job we're doing of loving them. In fact, I got to tell you guys, I'm confused today on pastoral qualifications. I can't even figure out who's disqualified. I is there anybody that's disqualified anymore in our day and age? Come on. I mean, literally, that's what we've come to. And we're patting each other on the back over this. Well, I will tell you this. With these men that are coming out of ministry, these are men that they may be disqualified or they may be coming out for some other reason. Be their friend. They're really at their loneliest time that they've ever been. They don't know what they're going to do. They've never sold an insurance policy. They've never sold a car. You know, I th- I think about what I would do if I didn't pastor. I guess I'd stand out in front of Walmart. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say, well, work for food. I'd just say, give me food. I'm hungry, you know. I don't want to work for it. So these men don't don't write them off. And by the way, these that have fallen into sin, um, the scripture still applies to them as well. Their way of life now is is over. They may have no idea what they're going to do now. But we're still to restore them and to have a spirit of reconciliation lest we also be tempted. You and I both know how many times in our ministry we have come to be tempted in exactly the same way but for the grace of God. So be a person of loyalty. Be a person who will stand with them when nobody else stands with them. And don't stick your finger up in the air and watch for the cultural wind changes of our movement. And when one falls out of favor with that, then all of a sudden, well, we're not with them anymore. You, you won't find my... I, I don't want to be associated with them anymore. And be a person of Loyalty. Be a greater man of God than that. Good. I love the story of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, of course, he broke the color barrier for the major leagues. But Jackie Robinson almost did not last past his first season. Everywhere Jackie Robinson went, you can imagine the, the things that were yelled at him. Things would be thrown at him sometimes, but mostly he will tell you in his book that it was just what was yelled at him. When he would be coming out of the dugout, the things that they would say, he didn't want to invite any of his family to come to the games because the things they would hear. His wife would just come home crying when she would hear what they were calling. And any mistake he made was magnified. You know the worst place that that took that ha- that happened? It was his own home field. It was Ebbets Field when he played for Brooklyn. They were just vicious. I mean, these New Yorkers were just vicious. The day came and he talks about it, how the ball was hit to him and he waited. He said, I waited a little too long. I should have charged the ball, but I didn't. And I waited long enough for it to take a bad hop. And when it took a bad hop, it went over my glove, goes out in the outfield, it's an error, Run scores. He goes, I, I, I went over to second base. He goes, that's where the ball was. He goes, I was so close to second base, I just stood up on the bag and I hung my head with both my hands by my side. And he goes, people are yelling and screaming the most horrific things to me. And he said, and I was done. I'm never coming back to this game. This is not worth it. I'll go back to the guys I'm used to playing with. Nothing is worth this. He said, until I felt an arm come around my shoulder. And he goes, and I looked to my left, and there was the famous, at that time, second baseman of Brooklyn Dodgers by the name of Pee Wee Reese. And he goes, and he stood there with his arm around me and stared down the entire Ebbetsfield crowd until they were completely silent. Mm. When they were silent, he took his arm away from him. He looked at Jackie and he said, Jackie, I'll always be with you. Now let's play ball. And Jackie Robinson will tell you that's the day that saved my ministry. I used to think these guys that go through depression, panic attacks, anxiety. How unspiritual. Who goes through that? Boy, he must be a long way from God. You know what God says? I'll show you. And he takes you through those valleys. Guys, be a person of loyalty. When the guy's down, that's when you need to draw closer to him. He's not going to do much for you career-wise. But it's going to do a great deal for you and for him spiritually third and finally and we're done a person of encouragement a person of loyalty and then I love this one look at what he says in verse 18 he says the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day so he begins where he finishes he says Lord give mercy in verse 16 then he says it again the Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus what are the last four words there Thou knowest very well. You know what he was, Neil? He was a person of reputation. Paul's writing this, and this is the last time that he's writing to Timothy. And as he's writing these words, he's talking about Onesiphorus, and he's talking about how he offered fresh and was not ashamed, and how he sought me out and he found me, and how he ministered unto me, and then he said, wait, 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 wait a minute. What, what am I telling you? you? You know what kind of guy he is. He's the same guy that he's always been. He has always been a Barnabas. He's always been the son of encouragement. When guys walk through the door, I'll tell you one guy that walks through the door. And I'm going to tell you, when he walks through the door, I just cringe. I hide. And I think, oh, man, I do not want to see him. That's not true. I'm not going to tell you that name. (laughs) There are guys like that. Some of you would love to hear those names. There is a guy that walks through the door, and when I see him, I'm immediately uplifted. And that is David Gamble. I've known David. I remember him on his knees. With me as a sophomore in college, he knew what God was doing with me. I was a business major and I was as wild as could be. But he knew God was working on my heart. And even then he was a son of Barnabas. He was a son, he was a son of encouragement. And I've never known David Gamble to be any different. And so when he walks in, immediately I know I'm going to be uplifted. Now let me ask you a question. What's your reputation? True stories told about a teacher. It was Thanksgiving time. They were ask, she asked the students to, to draw something that they were thankful for. Little Bobby came from a very destructive home. His dad beat him. His mom would not, didn't protect him. She would excuse it. His it very poor home. It took Bobby half a year to adjust, clear up until think, to even be willing to go out and play with the other children. So every day, little Bobby would stand there beside the teacher, and they would just hold hands. That was his safe place. Well, they all drew something, and some drew it. You know, they draw a turkey, and, you know, the turkey represents First Thanksgiving. Others drew, you know, a, one person drew a field and talked about the crops, and they went through all the different things. One drew their mom. They were thankful for their mom. And then it came to Bobby's, and Bobby's, always, he had always been the one they kind of made fun of in the class. Finally, they unfolded Bobby's paper, and Bobby had traced his hand on the paper. And it was just a trace out, and even that was kind of scratchy. And they said, oh, well, that's, that's God's hand, because, and Bobby just sat there quiet. He was embarrassed, and they were all changing now from trying to guess what it is to kind of making fun. Who draws a hand for Thanksgiving? And the teacher could see it was getting out of hand. So she shut it down, they went into their schoolwork. Later, the teacher was walking through the aisles and checking the, te- the student's work, and she came by Bobby's desk, and Bobby pulled on her skirt, and she leaned over, and she said, what is it, Bobby? And she goes, and he said, well, teacher, that hand was your hand. And it struck her. Every day, his place of security, not just on that playground or classroom, but even at home, was standing with his hand in that teacher's hand. And that's what he was most thankful for. I got a question for you. Whose hands in your life would you draw? People that you were most thankful for. People that had been encouragers. People that had been loyal. People that had had a reputation for that in your life and showed it. I guarantee you can name three or four of them. But here's a greater question, guys. Who would draw your hand? Who would take the piece of paper and say, I know one person I'm going to draw the hand of? That was a May God help us to be that kind of man. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2020 is scheduled for September 7th through 9th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to join us. For more information about REST, go to our website, therestconference.com.